Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. But as I even say that, I, I recognize we still have one more week here in this series. This series, you heard me. The Apostle Paul talking five different times to Timothy and Titus saying, hey, the thing I just said, really important thing there. If you could just highlight that and take note of it. You heard exactly what I said and I want you to share it with others because this will always be trustworthy. It'll always be useful. So we're in the fifth of those five weeks. And before we look ahead at March and we look ahead at new series and big announcements, I don't want to move too fast. In fact, today, if you're taking notes, the message title is Not So Fast. Not So Fast. We're not quite done yet, so don't move on too quick. Not so fast. Have you ever found yourself getting a little bit carried away? Getting maybe caught up in the momentum of something that's taking place in your life and you just have to slow down and say, okay, not so fast. Like maybe you're telling a story and you jump to the conclusion of the story and you've left out some important details and it's like you need to say, whoa, 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 not so fast. Need to back up in order for that to make sense. Or maybe you've told a joke and you've come to the punchline before the setup. Oh, that's the worst when that happens. Not so fast. Just slow down. I know my son, uh, Oakley, he's six years old and recently he had a new pair of shoes. And this is just something about it. You get a new pair of shoes and and you you prove your speed. And it's always the excitement. Like, I got new shoes. I'm so fast now. And and he was like, Dad, do you want to see see my my speed? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to see it. He goes, okay, I'm going to run from this side of the room to the other side of the room. And sometimes I run so fast that I run right into the wall. And I was like, well, Oak, that's cool that you're super fast, but... Not so fast. For some of us, even in our spiritual lives, it's like we're, we're trying to achieve and we're trying to move forward so fast. And sometimes the Bible just says to us, hey, not so fast. Just slow down a little bit. Take note of what's taking place. In fact, I recognize as your pastor, these last four weeks have been kind of setting the stage in, in the, the theme that Paul is teaching. And it would be possible for us to almost forget the foundations and move so fast that we miss this last and final point. You remember week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom we are the worst. And then we we talked uh, the following week about the good job that it is to be a leader. It's a lot of work, but it's a good and noble task to aspire to be used of God. And then we looked at the concept of no days off, training ourselves in godliness. And then last week, that's my jam. We talked about endurance. And it would be possible now that the momentum of these themes is picking up so fast that we've kind of maybe forgotten a few establishing things. I'm going to end it in this manner. In fact, this this whole thing, in order to establish it, is in Titus chapter 3. And we're going to look at this passage of Scripture backwards. Here's why. Because sometimes when I read the Bible, I get in a groove. I get in some momentum. I get in some rhythm. And I find myself getting to the end of the passage and then going, what did I just read? Have you ever been there before? Like, what, what did I just say? What did I just read? And we almost lose our train of thought. Maybe you've been there and you are excitedly telling someone some new piece of information or some new news only to say, sorry, what was I saying right now? It's like internally your mind saying, hey, bro, not so fast. Like, get the details right. Check this out. Titus chapter 3 and, uh, and verse 
8, if you could go down to Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, the very end of the verse, it says this, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Whoever you are today, wherever you're watching from today, these things are excellent and profitable for you. I remember reading this passage, getting to that statement and going, huh, excellent and profitable. I, I want to live a more excellent life. I want there to be more profit in the way I live my life. But what were these things? You ever needed to just backpedal a little bit in scripture and say, well, exactly what is it we're talking about here? Paul is highlighting, he goes, what I just said, Titus, don't forget it. Share that with everyone because these things, they're so profitable. They're excellent for everybody. Well, in order to understand what these things are, we got to backpedal a little bit. Why don't we look at the beginning of that verse, Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, right from the beginning. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let me read it again. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who are, have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul says, I want you to stress this. This word stress is an interesting Greek word. I'm going to do my best to say it. Ready? Uh, if I go too fast, I'm going to miss it. So I need to say, okay, not too fast because there's a lot of syllables going on here. Dia bebeiomaya. Dia bebeiomai. Dia bebeiomai. Not so fast. It means this to continually reestablish, to continually come back to the foundation. Paul says to Titus, I don't want you to stop establishing these things. Continue to stress these things. Continue to revisit these things. You, you might say, I, I've been coming to Vivid Church for a while now, like three or four or five weeks. Every week, they just keep talking about these trustworthy sayings. Why? Because we're, we're trying to continually stress the value of these things. It says continually stress these things or reestablish or keep on going to the foundation of these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Do you know God is looking for character? What God is looking for in you and I is character. He doesn't need our charisma. God doesn't need our courage. He's not looking for cleverness or creativity or class or coolness. He is looking to develop character within us. He says, I want you to keep on establishing these things in the heart of anyone who will listen because God wants us to develop character. He says that those who have trusted God can now become devoted to good works. The word devotion means to super intend, not just to intend, but to super intend. Not just to have a, a passing thought towards, but to have strategy, energy, effort, sacrifice, and forethought put into what? Good works. God is calling you and I to good works. He's calling you and I to have a devotion to character. He's calling you and I to get better, to improve. Uh, Henry Blackaby said this, people can only do so much to improve their physical and their mental abilities, 
but the potential for character growth is limitless. Good news. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your story is, no matter who I am when I look at myself in the mirror, the deficiencies that I see, the areas that need to grow, there is limitless possibility to develop more character. And what God is saying to, to, to you and I, through Paul to Titus, is that we need to continually stress these things so that we devote ourselves to doing what is good. It's excellent and it's profitable for everyone. So get this in your heart. God wants you to be good. He wants you to develop a goodness in your character. Now these things has not yet been established. What are these things. If we're supposed to stress them, if we're supposed to remember them and go back over them, I feel like maybe we got carried away. We got to the end of the passage and we just need to go not so fast and back up a little bit more to understand what these things are. Why don't we go back to verse three? This might be the first time you've ever heard a backwards sermon. Check this out. Verse three of Titus chapter three. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what's good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Okay, so, so those are these things. Those are the things we need to remember. Let me put it in kind of three simple statements that I think are going to help us to reestablish and to continually revisit our foundations so that we can live an excellent, profitable life of increased goodness. First thing, number one, we were all enslaved by all kinds of things, but we were saved by kindness. He says this, we were enslaved by all kinds of pleasures and all kinds of passions, but when the kindness of Jesus appeared, he saved us. Isn't that true of, of you? I know it's true of me that apart from Jesus, I'm actually a slave. I'm actually a slave to my own passions. I'm a slave to my own pleasures. Things that I think are good that lead me in the wrong direction. The Bible says this, there's a way that feels right to us. It seems good to us, but it leads us towards death. We are all conditioned towards selfishness. We're all conditioned towards comfort. I heard somebody just yesterday, I was listening to a podcast, and they said, at the end of the day, there's really nothing more important than comfort. And I was like, uh, hold up a second. And the person they were interviewing, they're like, yeah, that's so true. That is so true. Comfort, that's the goal. But isn't that interesting? There's a way that seems right to us. The pleasures and the passions that lead us. But comfort has led people to do some crazy things. 
Comfort has led us to, to do all sorts of things to escape our reality. Comfort has led us to cut corners, to cheat, to lie, to steal, to deceive. We were enslaved by all kinds of sin, but it was kindness that saved us. I love this, that it's not Jesus' wrath, it's not God's anger, it's not the Holy Spirit's vindication, it's it's his kindness. When the kindness of Jesus appeared, we were saved. Now, Now before you go ahead and say, I better start doing more good things, you need to remember this is the motivation, that we were enslaved by all kinds of things, but we were saved by kindness. See, kindness is that motivation towards goodness. As Christians, our theology is based in grace, but our ethics is based in gratitude. Let me say it again. Our theology is based in grace, but our ethics are based in gratitude. When we stop and we consider, I was enslaved to all kinds of things, but the kindness of Jesus has saved me. Second thing that I think we can stress from this passage right here, this statement that Paul is highlighting, saying, don't forget it, keep reestablishing it, that hard, long Greek word, debebeo, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Oh, second thing is this. Salvation was made for you, but it was not made by you. Hey, check it out. I got a brand new pair of shoes. I want to show you my new shoes, okay? And now I'm like the little six-year-old kid who's saying, these new shoes, they're super, super fast. I got a brand new pair of shoes and I have this, we have this little tradition in our family. Check this out. My kids, they like to design new shoes for me. So this pair of shoes right here is designed by my kids. It's colorful. As you know it on the side, it says 9R because there are nine people in the Reimer family. But uh, newsflash, in case you haven't heard, we're a couple months from these shoes being obsolete. So guess what, kids? Daddy needs new shoes. And uh, they designed these shoes for me. And at Christmas, I opened up a, a box and it said on the side, your Nikes have been designed for you. And I opened them up and, and this pair of shoes has not been made by anyone else. has not been made for anyone else. They're super unique to me. But guess what? I didn't make these. They were made for me, not by me. In fact, if you were to take like a a 10,000 foot view, a really macro view of it, these shoes were made in partnership with a whole bunch of forces, none of which were my own. Phil Knight started a company called Nike. And someone on his recruitment team decided to partner with an athlete named LeBron James who came in along with their team and they established that this was the the formation of this particular shoe. And then my kids, Kezia and Sophie and Titus and Gwyneth and Arrow and Oakley and Zion logged on and picked colors and picked material types and they knew my size. And together collaboratively, these things were designed for me, but they weren't made by me. Now, such a simple thought, but the same is true of our salvation. Salvation was designed and crafted specifically for you. God designed salvation specifically for me. And we see in this passage the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit collaboratively working together for something that fits you perfectly. But in case we get too caught up in this thing, Our salvation has and has always had nothing to do with our righteousness. It's had nothing to do with how good we are. 
Our salvation right now and forever will always be because of the kindness of Christ. In fact, look at the verbs describing the the action of God in the, the form of our salvation. It says this, his kindness appeared, he loved us, he saved us, uh, he's washed us, he's renewed us, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit in a generous way, he's justified us, and he's causing us to become. That's all God's action. In this process, what am I? I am the slave who is stuck in all kinds of passion. And then the kindness of Jesus appeared. And he washed me, and he renewed me, and he saved me, and he's pouring his Holy Spirit into my life generously, and I am being justified, and I am becoming who God has called me to be. Your salvation was made for you, not by you. In case you get it wrong, and you think, good thing I tried so, so hard and God noticed me. Guess what? Goodness is not us trying to get in God's good book. We're already in God's good book. You are already in the center of God's attention. He loves you. He cares for you. And it has nothing to do with your effort. So these things are important if we're going to live a good life. And by the way, living a good life is important to God. I'm going to say it again. Living a good life is important to God. Now, goodness does not precede grace and mercy. God started this whole thing off. Not our goodness. God started off. Let's not overemphasize goodness as if we can work our way into God's good graces. No, no. He pours out grace because of who he is. In fact, in in Psalm 136, in verse 1, if you need a reminder, it says, the Lord is good. So that's God. God's good. Okay? That's just God. But if goodness does not follow grace and mercy, it's actually become underemphasized in our lives. Like God does care that you and I live good lives. That's what an excellent and profitable life looks like. He in fact says we should stress it. So first thing, we were enslaved by all kinds of things, but saved by kindness. Second thing, salvation was made for us, not by us. And the third thing I want us to have stressed in our lives and get foundationally in the core of who we are is that we are becoming heirs. Like God is is working in us and through us that we could become like him. This word heir that you see in Titus chapter 3 verse 7, it says he's justified us by grace that we might become heirs having hope for eternal life. This word heir, it means to take on the same type of work. God has this huge, immeasurable work to do, this incredible work of grace and mercy in our world to pour out his kindness and to to cause the Holy Spirit to convict people of their sin and draw them towards his goodness. He's got a big job to do. And when he saved you and I, even though we were fools, and he fit us perfectly for salvation, not by us, but for us, he's also asking us to become like him. Or in other words, to take on the same type of work. God is asking you and I to prioritize goodness. So we give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Yeah, the hope that we have in eternal life actually ought to motivate us towards goodness. 
It ought to challenge and stir our hearts towards goodness. It ought to be the foundation that we continually stress towards goodness. I think it's crucial for us that this is the fifth and and final of these messages because we talked about no days off and we talked about endurance and it's possible to get in a stride so fast that we forget our need for the Spirit of God. Well, the Bible says keep in step with the Spirit. God cares about my goodness and about your goodness. In fact, why don't you just throw in the chat, my goodness, like God cares about your goodness and he cares about My goodness, he's asking us to become heirs with him. And he says this, if you trust the work of salvation, if you've put your trust in me, if you've trusted that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you've been saved by kindness, if you trust that salvation was made perfectly for you, not by you, but it fits you just right, designed with love and care and attention to every detail, if if you put your trust in the fact that you're becoming like me, then I want you to put these things into practice. Do this stuff. Be good. So vivid. Challenge for each one of us. God is calling us to goodness. Not goodness before grace and mercy. That would be an overemphasis. But certainly goodness that follows grace and mercy. We weren't saved by our good works, but we were saved for good works. Now, right here and now, someone's going, cool, great message. If we could just pray, close it up. I know how this thing goes. We're going to play a little reel of some closing announcements. And then next week into a new series, into, you know, a big announcement. And we're excited. We're almost here in March. But not so fast. In order to actually put some practice into goodness, I want to give us some specific areas that the Bible highlights that we could become gooder. I know it's not a word. In fact, In the next seven minutes, I'm going to give you seven of them, okay? Check this out. The the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 1, because we're going backwards today. We talked about what's excellent and profitable, and now we're working our way all the way back to what we're called to be reminded of. Titus, chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards everyone. Here we go. Seven things that the Bible says you and I could put into practice that would actually reflect goodness. And we're called to remind. This word remind is in the present tense. In other words, we constantly need reminders of this. You you start to look for these things and you'll see them all throughout the scripture and you'll see opportunities to practice them all throughout the day because these are fairly universal areas where God is challenging you and I to be good. He's reminding us, you're you're an heir to my kingdom. And because you have eternal life, get a long-term perspective. It's not about comfort. It's not not just about easing into this grace and recognizing what you've, you've received, but actually treasuring what you've received enough to pass it on. So be reminded of this. Number one, to be subject to rulers and authorities. It's kind of a hard one, depending on what you value, depending on the the way you live your life. If you love freedom and love personalized expression, it can be challenging. Essentially, this means to arrange your life under covering. Think about that. Have you made preparation in your life to arrange your life under good authority, under good covering? 
I love the interaction of Jesus with the centurion. The centurion needs a miracle. He says, Jesus, I don't even need you to come. Just say the word and it's done. I know this because I'm a man under authority and I have people under my authority. When I say come, people come. When I say go, people go. He recognized the authority that Jesus had. So first and foremost, is your life under the covering of godly authority? Have you arranged your life under godly authority? Do you have people in your life who can challenge you, correct you, even rebuke you when you need it? Have you invited coaching into your life and arranged for it in your life? Where you say, I'm not just gonna do the thing I most wanna do when I most wanna do it. I want to invite leadership into my life. So some of you just need to not take it so personally when someone who cares for you, when someone who has authority over you exercises some of that authority. It's not because they hate you, it's because they love you. It's not because your parent hates you that they remind you to be your best. It's because they love you. It's not because you are in the bad books that a pastor comes alongside and reminds you of who you're called to be. It's because they see incredible vision for your life. So have you arranged your life under authority? Number two, it says to be obedient. I think of it this way. Do you do the right thing even when you could get away with the wrong thing? Are you shoulder checking and looking around to see what you could get away with? Or are you making the decisions to do what's right always? Are you premeditating your excuse that will get you out of trouble in case you get caught? Or are you living in such a way that you never have to worry about getting caught? Living in obedience, that's what goodness looks like. I've arranged myself under godly authority and I'm walking in obedience in my life. Number three, it says ready to do every good work or ready to do whatever is good. If you need a word for this, it's premeditated. Ready to do whatever is good. Premeditated, pre-planned goodness. Thinking, how will I respond when put in an opportunity to be generous? Oh, I'm gonna be generous. That's how I'm gonna respond. And I'm gonna give with joy. That's how I'm gonna give. How will I respond when I am treated poorly? Whoo, I'm going to forgive. That's what I'm going to do. It's premeditated goodness, ready to do whatever is good. For some of us, it's, it's like we are so specific with what we think we're good at that we say, when the opportunity comes for me to shine, then I'll do my thing. Well, here the Bible says, be ready to do whatever is good. Have you ever played that game whack-a-mole? Like, you, like an old arcade style and all the little moles come up and you're trying to hit whichever one comes up. And then there's always that person who's like, I figured out this game. Five of us, we just gather around and we hover over this one and if ours comes up, we hit it. It's like, that's kind of cheating. And a lot of us, we live our spiritual lives that way. We say, I'm just going to hover over the area that I already feel good at, gifted at, and talented at. And if that one specific thing comes up, then I will respond. Well, the Bible says, no, no, be ready for whatever is good. So you go, my best gifts all require big public gatherings. I like to, to you know, lead worship in a large setting. I like to do things that, uh, that allow for a big crowd and I can't do that right now. So I'm just hovering and waiting for my time. No, no, your time is right now. If we're going to live good lives, we're ready for whatever is required of goodness. So we arranged our life under authority. Are we living in obedience even when we could get away with something less? Are we ready, premeditated to do what is good? Number four, it says slander no one. Well, that one's pretty basic. The, the, the content and the quality of what's coming out of our mouths, is it 
cutting others down? Is it putting others in bad light? Is it making less of someone else so we can make more of ourselves in conversation? The Bible says don't do that. If we're going to live good lives, we don't do that. If we're going to become heirs like Jesus, heirs in Jesus' uh, you know, mission on the planet to save and to redeem and to buy back and to reflect the mercy and the kindness of God, then we can't do that. We can't entertain ourselves with slander. Number five, it says this, be peaceable. Peaceable. In fact, I read it, yeah, be peaceable. This word peaceable, it's a Greek word, amikos. And it means this, to not be a fighter and therefore to be undefeatable. <laughs> Think about that right now. Don't get into fights and you will never lose a fight. You're actually undefeatable. You're actually, you, you can retire from the fighting game undefeated. If you make the decision, I will be peaceable. I'm not looking to pick fights. I'll say it, I've said it once and I'll say it over and over and over as long as I'm given the platform to do so. Check it out. If you have to become a loser to win that fight, it's not a fight worth fighting. So choose peace. Choose peaceableness. This is not passivity. It's making the decision. I care more for this person than I care about winning. I care more for our relationship than I care about momentary victory. So choose peaceableness. Number, number six, it says be considerate. Be considerate. How are we going to be good? by being on our best behavior. I don't know if you had a parent who ever told you this. I, I did, and I still do. <laughs> they used to turn back to us kids in the backseat of the car when we were on our way to a social gathering, and they said, kids, right now, everyone needs to remember, be on your best behavior. Well, that's what it is to be considerate, to make the decision continually, I will be on my best behavior. I'm gonna consider others before I consider myself. And then lastly, number seven, you need a little challenge on what it is to be good, what it is to live good, what it is to super intend or be devoted to goodness. Well, simply this. Always be gentle towards everyone. There you go. Always be gentle towards everyone. Another translation says this. Let your humility be evident to everyone. Gentleness is not just being soft. In fact, gentleness requires a lot of strength. Gentleness requires that I am exemplifying humility in every situation to everyone. It's a big task. Now, with that perspective in mind, I'm just going to read this passage to us forwards. Read this passage and, con and conclude this series in a forward movement. Ready? Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and in envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness 
and the love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might also become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.